try and let the customer tell you exactly what it needs to do. Don't try and dictate too much about how it works. Let them show you how they expect it to work and then build that. Because if you can get that, if you can get it so that it feels like it's just expected, it feels like, oh, this is exactly how I thought it would work. Your customers feel empowered and you've done your job well. That's Jason Stoff, a principal digital product designer at Starbucks. Before joining the team there, Jason had built a career as an art director and senior designer with various agencies. One day he shared a rebound of a Starbucks logo design on Dribbble that eventually caught the eye of Starbucks. One year later, he had the chance to interview for a design role and moved his family across the country to join the team in Seattle. What Jason is talking about is the process of building great products. As an international brand and retail chain, Starbucks has millions of customers who interact with its products on a daily basis, and the products that it releases have to be simple to use and delightful, a process that isn't always simple when designing for new platforms, as we'll see. This is Hack to Start, a podcast that focuses on amazing people who have an interesting story or perspective to share and their insights on how they got to the level of success they have today. I'm Franco Veriano. And I'm Tyler Copeland. Today we're speaking with Jason Stoff, a principal digital product designer at Starbucks. Jason started his career off in the agency world before joining the team at Starbucks to work on their own products. He and his team have helped to create international design standards, launch new Starbucks apps and experiences like the Apple Watch, iMessage gifting, and much more. Jason joins us to share his story how he got into design, how he created the opportunity to join the team at Starbucks, what it was like transitioning from the agency to product world, what it's been like designing digital products at Starbucks, and much more. So let's get started. Hey Jason, thanks so much for being on the show today. Hey, no problem. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. We're super excited to have you on, you know, to share more about what you're up to at Starbucks. Uh, as the principal product designer. But before we dive into all that, can you tell us more about yourself? Where are you from and what did you study? Yeah, absolutely. I'm actually from a small town in Southern Illinois. I'm from Highland, Illinois. Grew up there. My family still lives there, at least uh, a good chunk of them. I still have some relatives in the Midwest kind of scattered all over, but I went to high school there and eventually went to Southeast Missouri State University. That's down in Cape Girardeau, Missouri and Illinois in that kind of St. Louis area definitely start to kind of bleed together a little bit. After college, I moved up to St. Louis, Missouri for some jobs, and I stayed there until moving to Seattle about three years ago now. My degree is in fine art. I have a bachelor's of fine art with a graphic design focus, but it's just kind of funny that that isn't really how I think of it anymore. It's it's just I learned how to question things and I learned how to solve problems with a visual focus. But I guess we'll get into some of that. Yeah, absolutely. That sounds really cool. So how did you start your career? What were some of the first few jobs you had? Actually, while I was in school, uh, while I was between my junior and senior year of college, uh, I started doing some internships. I think a lot of designers, a lot of people start doing internships around then. And I actually did two over that summer. I did one in Highland uh, in my hometown two days a week. And then that was at like a kind of a print shop slash small town design agency. And then I did another one at a ad like marketing agency in St. Louis. And I learned pretty quickly which one I preferred. I was much more drawn into the the problem solving and the creativity and the uh, standards of execution at the firm that I worked at in St. Louis. And I kind of pursued that. So 
right out of school, I got hired at that company. And the recession kind of hit, so marketing jobs starting to get less secure. So I ended up finding a new job at a smaller strictly design agency called Atomic Dust in St. Louis. And they're still there. They're still they're still doing great. And I stayed there for another three or four years. They did all kinds of design work. So they would do B2B marketing. They would do package design. They would do web and video and audio, product concepting. They did do a ton of stuff. And it was a lot of fun. But after a couple of years, I started Kind of just a lot of work that was coming in was similar. And there was a string of some some clients that were difficult to deal with or didn't really excite me. I didn't really go looking for a change, but a change kind of found me in terms of the Starbucks position. That's really cool. So you're currently the principal digital product designer at Starbucks in Seattle. Can you tell us a bit more about how you created the opportunity to join the team there and a little bit more about what your role is all about? Absolutely. I'm a part of the digital product design team here at Starbucks. A lot of people don't necessarily realize that we create and maintain and you know, design and develop our digital products. So our website, our apps, all of that stuff is actually done in-house. I don't think that's true of the rest of the retail industry as much as it is of us, although that's kind of turning around, I think, at least in some part because of the focus that we've been able to give it. So I'm a principal digital product designer here, but I definitely didn't start off at the principal level. I started off as a senior digital product designer, specifically on the web, because when I got here, we didn't technically have any web product designers. We had app product designers, and they were split between iOS and Android. And then we had some web design folks, but they were mainly part of marketing teams, or they were contract employees. And it seemed like there had been a lot of turnover. So we really wanted to start kind of a new leaf on web product and treating it as a product, as opposed to as kind of a, a marketing platform. And you're starting to see the fruits of that now. Sorry, that's a little bit of a tangent there. But you asked about how I got started here. And the story of how I got here is actually kind of interesting. I said earlier, I didn't go out looking for a new opportunity, but that opportunity found me. Some of the things that I would do in my spare time at Atomic Dust were to redesign app icons that I thought could be improved and play around on Dribbble. And I'm still very active on social media, specifically Twitter. And I actually did a rebound of a simplified Starbucks icon. I want to say in... I don't know, 2012 or 2013, just kind of at a lark, icon designer named uh, Louis Mantilla had posted a few iterations of big brand icons, one for Chase, one for Starbucks, and one for Yelp, and centered them around symbols and logos instead of logo types. And he, I think, really did a great job communicating Chase and Yelp specifically. They were really, really good. But the Starbucks one that he represented just I thought that I had a different idea on how to take that. So, you know, Dribble lets you do a rebound of a shot, which is their term for a post. And I did it. I posted it and some people thought it was neat. Some people, you know, didn't like it and any like anything you post on Dribble. And I got, you know, no real feedback or anything. And I wasn't expecting anything from Starbucks until maybe a year later. I got a little note, a mention on Dribble from a designer who, who worked here at Starbucks at the time. His name's Jesse Hurlitz. And it turned out that they had seen the icon that I had designed up on Dribble and ran it through some legal approvals and used, you know, the the correct canonical siren artwork, but ended up using that idea for the design and he gave me some 
you know, some credit saying that the final product was inspired by a little piece that I had put up, which of course I'm freaking out. I thought that that was the most amazing thing and, uh, ended up getting in touch with Jesse on Twitter. We started talking and he started seeing some of the work that I had been doing and realized that there was maybe a way that I could fit into the team and start bringing some web product design skills to our team. He brought me out for an interview and I loved it. And my wife and I moved out here that following summer, September 2014. It was definitely not something that I was looking to do. The opportunity came up and we decided, my wife and I decided collectively that we're, you know, in our early 30s and may not have another chance to do something quite this crazy as move across the country. So we did and uh, must have looked really great too because I was driving, I drove from St. Louis to Seattle in a Mini Cooper with two medium-sized dogs in the back of the car and a bike strapped to the back, a big cargo box on top of my vehicle. It, It was a clown car situation, but it was a pretty little drive and made it out here in a couple days and started working. You know, I got here on a Sunday and I think I started work that Monday. That's such an amazing story. And it speaks to the depth and value of the Dribble community. It's amazing to hear that this whole adventure for you and your wife packing into a Mini Cooper with the dogs started with a simple icon redesign. It's it's really crazy. It's it's a fun story to tell when people end up asking. So exactly how did you end up in Seattle? <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I can just imagine that it's such a hit at parties and networking events telling that story. So what have been some of the projects that you've had the chance to work on while being a part of the Starbucks design team? So like I mentioned, I was hired actually as part of the web product team and started creating more of a a little bit of a product thought culture around the web, which was really interesting and had been something that a lot of people here in the digital products groups had been pushing for. And we started by really kind of doing a concept of what a web-based application might look like for Starbucks and exploring different navigation paradigms. And that specific project kind of led to what we're now starting to ship, which is the progressive web app. And that's Not necessarily something I've been involved in day to day, but it's something that we definitely worked on pretty early to start laying out a vision and laying out ideas for how that might work. So that that was one of the very first projects. And since then, I've been integrated on the design team that has definitely been more organized across platforms and across features than uh, some other design teams that I've seen. So our team of 15 people tackle all of the different projects uh, right now that kind of deal with product for the globe. For instance, we just helped launch the Japanese Starbucks reward app a couple weeks ago. And that was incredible. Like we, some of our design team flew out to Japan and worked with the local Starbucks team there to define exactly what it needed to do. And we were helping them understand what a new UI kit that we had been in the process of putting together really would do for them in terms of usability. And we worked through a lot of questions and a lot of challenges and iterated the designs to get to a point where the Japanese market would be really, really happy with it. And we were happy with the implementation. And that was a really amazing experience. That app just launched, like I said, a couple of weeks ago. And it was actually the number one app on the App Store for at least a little bit, which is insane to me that our little coffee getting app would uh, be that exciting. It's a little hard to fathom. It's really great. I've also got to work on some of the kind of further out there 
projects for us. Recently, we just shipped an Apple Watch app for watchOS 4. And before that, after iOS 10 was announced with the iMessage apps, we launched a gifting app for iMessage that's been pretty well received. So those those things have come out. And I do like experimenting in some of these spaces that you don't necessarily have a, a predictable template for what the app is going to be like. So you try and find what kind of a good product fit is on those different platforms. For example, I wasn't necessarily super involved with the very first Starbucks Apple Watch app. And we had some ideas on what we thought the hardware would do well. And the team that went to go and and do them, you know, designed it completely with just documentation and no device. And when they we had originally designed pay as a core feature. So you would have your barcode there on the home screen and then you would be able to swipe over and see nearby stores and swipe over and see, you know, rewards, things like that. But turned out that when the team that was working on it flew down to Apple and got an opportunity to run it on a real device, that when they went to scan anything with the barcode, you had to turn your wrist around and the watch would shut off. So there was no way to comfortably scan a barcode with the original Apple Watch and watchOS 1. It took until watchOS 4 for that specific feature to be something that uh, we would be able to make use of. So in the interim, we measured a ton. Um, We saw that really nobody was using store location and rewards can be represented maybe better as a complication than as a full dedicated page in the app. And so we decided to try and center that new experience around payment, which is something that people using a wearable device really can find a legitimate use case for, especially you know when we were working on this version, we didn't really know that the current watch hardware would have LTE. So we designed something that would work offline, even if, you know, even if some of the data is outdated, your barcode doesn't really change. So we, we kind of took what we knew about the platform and tailored features that we thought fit well into a cohesive product. Same with iMessage. Gifting is a natural thing to do between two people. And iMessage conversations are by and large between just a couple people. And we thought, hey, this is a pretty good fit. Can we create a compelling interface? And then can we find a way to actually make that transaction pretty seamless? So with a combination of iMessage and Apple Pay, we actually got something that we built prototypes for and put in some some of our other leadership's hands, were able to sell them on the idea and then get the resources to do the experience that we wanted to do on that platform, which was really, really cool. That leading with something that you can put in somebody else's hand is just just the way to go as long as you can. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And it, it sounds like you've had an, an astounding time at Starbucks working on you know a variety of different applications. So when Starbucks comes up with a new idea, like knowing that they're going to be releasing something on iMessage, what is the experience like to go from that initial idea to actually shipping a product? So that's that's really interesting. It's been I've seen that process change quite a bit over my last couple of years here. Right now, it's pretty collaborative in terms of the design team works pretty tightly with our engineers and our product folks, so our product managers and technical product managers who help us interface with our API team and our various tech teams to make sure that the features that we want to do are both realistic and uh, useful. So we all kind of get together. Maybe a project originates from engineering. Maybe it originates from an ask from the a core business unit, you know, like the Starbucks gifting team or from a digital card or from the reward, the rewards team. And uh, we come up with what we think is the best way to implement it and to test it with customers. A lot of times we'll do either proof of concept apps or we'll do prototypes. I like to use um, some software called Principle. It's Principle for Mac. And we use that in conjunction with some of our other design tools to create 
create very high fidelity prototypes that you can put in somebody's hand and give them a feel for what it'll be like to interact with this app or with this product. And then we start breaking those things out into sprints. We run not exactly, it's not exactly lean, it's not exactly Kanban, but we do uh, sprints and retros and you know it's very, very real. It's an engineering culture here in terms of how we want to make stuff. Then, you know, eventually we we have our own QA teams here too. So we'll get things up to a level of quality that we like and polish that we like. And ideally, we've also done a round or two of user testing, you know, either through some of our user testing partners or some different web teams that were able to kind of utilize some tools there. And uh, we end up putting it out in the world and trying to listen to as much feedback as we get and try and prioritize what we need to do next and how we need to enhance or what we might need to rethink. Um, it's not out of the question that we'll launch something that'll be beloved, but it's also not out of, it's rare that we get something 100% on the very first try. Um, I think that's common. <laughs> I think that's pretty healthy. Yeah, I, think, I think that's the case for a lot of apps, right? It's like you, we all have these ideas that we think are great, but until you actually get them in the hands of real world customers, that's where the, the real data is and, and the real decision making when it comes to product direction. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I like to say that no, uh, no good user test will leave a, a product unscathed because like, I want to push the boundaries of what customers expect to happen. So much of what we do is trying to introduce a concept and then if it's gifting through iMessage, introduce that concept and then make the interface kind of just disappear. That you didn't think about it, it worked exactly as you expected. When you have to start thinking about it, when you have to question, well, what is it going to do if I do this? That's where we start falling down. That's where one of my philosophies, as best I can put it, is to try and let the customer tell you exactly what it needs to do. Don't try and dictate too much about how it works. Let them show you how they expect it to work and then build that. Because if you can get that, if you can get it so that it feels like it's just expected, it feels like, oh, this is exactly how I thought it would work. Your customers feel empowered and you've done your job well. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. So on a daily basis, you're interacting with all kinds of teams, like we've heard, some local, some international, all made up of other designers, product managers, and engineers. So what's your approach for working with all these different business units and people? Um, I like to approach it as we're all one big team and we're all responsible for what we put out. As our design team, we have we have weekly kind of meetings where we go and share what we've been working on. We're also using tools that provide a lot of visibility to other designers so that they can see kind of how we might be attacking a problem. Um, we've also spent a lot of time as a design team pretty recently, and this is something our, my previous design director really kind of instituted, was we spent a lot of time creating a UI kit and user experience standards for our Ourselves. We found that that wasn't something that our business or our engineers or our, uh, our product people were necessarily asking us for. But we realized pretty quickly that if we didn't start doing a design system that we could then utilize and scale, that we would not be able to keep up with the volume of global work that we are asked to do. Things like a Japan app, things like I was recently in uh, the Netherlands working with a partner of ours on some European apps. And we use those same UI components in the US too. And it's been interesting because like the Japan app is completely rebuilt with all those UI components. And it it's beautiful. It works really, really well. We're really excited about that. That's kind of a look at where our design language is going and how it's going to be implemented. And in the US, it's a lot more like we're rebuilding an airplane while we are inside the airplane. 
sometimes it's very stressful. It's very strange. For example, if you go into our app today and you use the order ahead feature, a lot of that feature has the new design language and new UI components and new user flow behaviors that we've been working on for a while now. But if you go and use, say, the gift feature, that feature hasn't been updated as recently. So it's not it's not using the same components. But kind of one of the things that we're working on is leveling up all of those different features to include that newer user pattern centered behavior. So we found that it's a lot, a lot more understandable. It's a lot better on large devices. It's something that we are uh, excited to be able to share more about that. But it's still kind of work in progress. That's why, like I said, we're rebuilding a, a plane while we're in the plane. You know, we're trying to take different <laughs> yeah, parts, of course. like take off a wing, but we have to have the other wing ready to replace it. Yeah, and it's the theme of the design system that also continues to evolve. So not only are you working on updating all your apps with these new systems, you're currently refining that same foundation. So over the course of the episode, you've talked about supporting international teams. So what has it been like working with these international groups and developing design standards for various cultures and geographies? Well, luckily, a lot of UX, at least, good UX patterns, they're less language specific than we would necessarily think. So people being able to reach a button and people being able to correctly understand platform paradigms and be able to input text and understand that we are using a button label to both let somebody know this is the right thing to do and set them up for what is coming next. A lot of those principles are pretty universal. And luckily, we've been working you know, in conjunction with some partners in various markets that help us understand where something that is, like you said, something that might have originated in North America where those things might not quite match up with a cultural expectation. You know, birthday cake is a great example. We use a birthday cake icon to indicate like a birthday reward. And that's not culturally appropriate in different places in the world. But a lot of it is really about content and not as much about the user experience underneath that content. So like I said, people have similar size thumbs. So tap targets remain the same size. And people use, sometimes the device mix is a little bit different, but Overall, the trend in devices is going larger. In the case of the iPhone 10 coming up, potentially just taller. But we're able to extrapolate trends and best practices in terms of a user flow in a way that is pretty agnostic uh, market to market. Granted, we also support very similar features market to market. So this isn't a one-size-fits-all thing. But we have found some success with that, where as long as we're doing the UX in a pretty consistent way, the content that's presented can be super appropriate per market and still be recognizably Starbucks and just overall very, very usable. Yeah, that makes sense. So on that topic, contrasting the experience you've had so far at Starbucks with the work you were previously doing at an agency, what's that transition been like in terms of executing on design decisions based off of data? Obviously, as a designer at an agency, even though you're working on several projects, you don't get to go as deep as you do on a product. So can you share a bit more about that experience? Yeah, that's actually a really interesting question. It's definitely been an interesting transition coming from an agency background into a product world. That's beyond the uh, obvious kind of, hey, I wonder if I'm going to get bored working on one client all the time. I can tell you from my experience, no way. There are so many things to work on at, you know, at a company of this size that I'm not bored. <laughs> I've never been bored by not having a different client to work on because there are so many different business problems that you can solve and that you can work on. 
but there definitely was a learning curve. And one, that was one of the things that excited me about the opportunity, actually, was to try and instead of being broadly applicable with my skill set, try and be very deep in terms of what I knew inside and out. So being able to sit and watch a feature evolve while you're doing user studies on it. So the iMessage app is a pretty good example. Like we did internal testing. We ended up doing some external testing with participants and showed them prototypes of our flows and prototypes of the product and ended up like we thought that we had a lot of good stuff and it turned out that that was true. But one of the initial versions of our designs even had a a tutorial, had a tutorial in the iMessage app of how to send a gift card. And at first, it was so high fidelity that customers did not realize that it was a tutorial. They thought it was the app. So we did a second revision where we stripped down the fidelity. And then customers didn't understand it was a tutorial because they weren't sure what they were seeing. And it ended up, we tried a version that didn't have any tutorial in it at all, despite that being kind of a usability recommendation from uh, from some partners that we had been working with and it worked great customers intuitively got it so when i when i say like sometimes it's a bit just about finding what your customer expects it to work like and then making it do that like that was a great example where we we had an idea of you know this is kind of a weird concept i don't think customers are necessarily going to get it off the bat but the interface was in most places clear enough that they just got it they understood yeah, oh, I just go in here and I would tap this and then I choose that and then I send it. Great, done. Like the tutorial would have been completely unnecessary to ship and probably would have been detrimental to our actual shipping product. And we got to catch it early in usability. And that's being able to actually sit through a few rounds of objective feedback and not focus groups where it's I feel this way and I feel that, you know, this this campaign isn't speaking to me as a millennial or I feel like this particular campaign, I'm not, I don't like that font. It's much more structured and much more scientific. And that really appeals to the the high school athlete in me. That stuff is just very, very exciting. And that's been one of the parts of the product role that I have been just so happy to get to experience and get to learn more about and practice more and more every day. That's awesome, man. And thanks so much for sharing that. As a product designer myself, primarily working with smaller startups, I just wanted to hear your take on that, especially given the size of the user base that Starbucks has access to. It's really cool to hear your thoughts on that. Absolutely. I mean, millions of users can give you so much data that it's overwhelming, too. Um, (laughs) I can just imagine. It totally gives you very clear signals when something isn't working, but when something's only working okay, like it's sometimes a little bit muddier because you're trying to find where drop-off points are. You're trying to find where a funnel is, you know, experiencing abandonment and all those things. And like continual improvement is something that uh, we want to be able to do. And, you know, in the startup culture, shipping often and shipping lean and just the principle of building value every single time, like building value with every single shipment is so interesting. And so actually not that dissimilar from how we want to ship and how we want to behave. I don't know if it's necessarily been noticed by everybody, but now we ship uh, once a month. That's, that's our general cadence is we ship once a month. We don't ship like quarterly. We don't ship every two weeks or every week like Facebook or any of those guys, but we try and build actual value for customers every single month. And what is ready goes in the shipment, goes in our apps that we ship off to the store. And what isn't, you know, we work on it for another month and try and get it on the next one. So in a lot of ways, I don't think it's too dissimilar than, you know, a startup with a small group, as long as you're paying attention to your customers' feedback. And in some other ways, obviously, if we have any kind of major issue, it does affect millions of people pretty quick. So 
you know, there's probably a little extra caution. But yeah, it's it's definitely been really interesting to to be on that end and be like, oh, well, we're going to push a button and ship this new feature to, you know, 13 million of our closest friends. Yeah, for me, it's been a really wonderful experience being here and building great stuff for customers who I directly know, you know, that's one of the weird things about shipping at Starbucks is, uh, you know, my sister-in-law and my mother-in-law and my my family members are users of the products that I work on, which is pretty crazy, but a lot of fun. So it's definitely, it's definitely been an adjustment, but it's one that I'm very, very happy to have made. Yeah, absolutely. Sounds like it's been a, a lot of fun. So what's next for you and the Starbucks team? Well, like I said, I think we're we're ramping up this launch of our new progressive web app. I know our web teams and our web designers and everybody, you know, everybody is very excited about that. It's really, really neat. I can't wait for more and more people to be able to see it. Um, unfortunately, being part of a large company means I also can't talk too much about what's coming next. But I think we're excited to to overall just continue to improve the quality of our apps and improve the quality of the products that we put out in the world. I mean, when you start looking at some of the stuff that's shipped since I've been here, and this isn't, sorry, this isn't saying that I necessarily had a huge hand in it, but the mobile ordering stuff has been amazing, like, and the response has been amazing. So I know that one of the things that we're going to continue to focus on is that mobile ordering experience. In our last earnings call, I know that we reported that mobile order and pay is now responsible for about 9% of all transactions that go through U.S. Starbucks, which is crazy. That feature didn't exist in 2014, at least it didn't exist nationally until you know well into 2015, and now it makes up 10% of our business almost. Same thing with mobile payment, you know, the little scan your barcode feature. About 30% of the money that Starbucks makes in its stores comes through those barcodes, which is, again, it's crazy to work on any kind of project at this scale where this large business has a lot of a lot of respect for this type of technology and a lot of interest in making sure that those things are continually improved and made better for our customers. Yeah, absolutely. That's really cool. So we'll have to stay posted on all the cool stuff you guys continue to ship. Yeah, it's really it's really exciting. I can't wait for this upcoming the upcoming year. I think we're going to ship some really fun stuff. So throughout the conversation, you've mentioned a few tools, but are there any other apps or tools that you've recently downloaded and loved either inside or outside of Starbucks? Yeah. So I think I mentioned a little bit about like our design team's workflow. We use a combination of sketch and abstract right now to do most of our design work. You know, we do the designing in sketch and we use abstract to do version control for those for those files. So it's really kind of wonderful. Abstract, if you guys aren't familiar, is it's a, a startup and they're essentially bringing Git version control to visual sketch files. It's really something else. So that enables us to organize projects better and have branches and try out different ideas and throw things away without completely throwing them away. It's It's been a real, uh, really interesting thing for us to start chewing on as a team and you know sinking our teeth into. Uh, we also use, and this is a small one, but we use uh, the user flows plugin in Sketch a ton. It's helped us create documentation, like maybe one of the best things that we use today, like that. And there's another app, Zeppelin lets you do kind of interactive red lines. So when I started, the design team used to have to do red lines manually in InDesign. And those documents were hundreds of pages long and it took forever. And anytime you change something, you would have to go back and you know, replace the image and make sure they updated everything and all the specs and they weren't 
that useful for our engineers anyway. So we found you know Zeppelin to be a lot better. We also use things like Slack. We use Dropbox Paper quite a bit for documents. I personally, uh, I'm a huge user of the GTD app things. I have been since they shipped their first betas on Mac OS and I well, I guess back then it was OS 10. But yeah, Things is basically something I've used every day for 10 years, and it helps me keep on top of my actual work and my tasks. You can ask my wife. She's uh, very happy when things make their way onto my to-do list because she knows that they'll get done. So I, I'm definitely very in tune with this, uh, like kind of the newer design tools. It's really an amazing difference from even just a couple of years ago, where we have this powerful set of tools that help us be organized better and resolve changes and resolve consistency issues better. Um, I don't know if you guys are too familiar, but some of the newer versions of Sketch have, at least the newest version of Sketch, has a tool that helps you create a UI kit and then use that UI kit as the source UI for any new projects that you start. It's really something else. It's great. But yeah, I'm excited to see the innovation in that area. You know, I love me some Photoshop and Lightroom and things like that. Or I spend time in that doing my photography projects. But man, the specific design, like screen design workflows that are starting to come to life in 2016, 2017, and, and you know, hopefully more, this stuff is really exciting to me. Yeah, the the design tools in general are just they keep evolving. And, and, you know, like you said, the things like abstract, where there's now version control with your sketch files. And, and so sharing design files has just become this, you know, so much easier and quicker. But I have to ask, um, what are your thoughts on the new Envision Studio and, and how that might streamline your process as a, as a product designer, you know, both at Starbucks and may, maybe independently? I saw the announcement the other day. Um, there's been a lot of news this week on design tools just with Adobe Max going on to there's a whole new version of Lightroom. And uh, seeing Envision Studio come out as potentially an integrated design and prototyping tool is pretty interesting. I'm not sure that we will necessarily switch to it, but I'm sure that we're going to give it a good look. Right now, for prototyping, we end up using things like Envision. Um, InVision is one of the a couple tools that we use for creating tap through prototypes. And I think I mentioned earlier, we use an app called Principle a lot for high fidelity, small interactions. But yeah, it's it's really interesting. I need to dig in more to it. But man, it's it's just an exciting time that any of this stuff launches. Framer just launched a new version of their tool set that also includes design tools. And Figma is, I'm sure, working on things similarly. Granted, I've seen some real crazy chaos when you have some a group of people working in Figma. <laughs> but you can see some really crazy stuff happen, which is a lot of fun. Just an exciting time to be in the industry and be somebody who relies on these tools and is able to check them out and choose the best stuff for what your team needs. That's that's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Exciting times. So along those lines, are there any other resources like books, posts, videos, podcasts that you've recently discovered or keep coming back to? Yeah, um, we've been looking at the book Sprint by Jake Knapp. Uh, I read that on vacation last year and had a I, I loved it. I think that it's really great. Uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar, but it's the process of design sprints and Jake and some of the other authors in the book are worked with Google Ventures to help startups really solve problems quickly. That's something that we've been taking to heart quite a bit. I just ordered a book for our team called Design Systems by Ala Kolmatova. I'm hoping I didn't completely butcher that name, but I believe it's a smashing book. Very excited to dig into that probably this weekend. 
And um, personally, I, I like reading Stratechery. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that one either, but it's one of the things that I've become more and more interested in here at Starbucks is really clarifying the link between solid design and solid user experience and business goals. And not just we want sales to go up, but how does the design or what does the design communicate about the goals of a business all up? How do we specifically measure and track the exact outcomes of the designs that we ship? And uh, Stratechery has a very interesting perspective on on technology and how it intersects and interweaves the world of business. And really, I find it fascinating. I think that that's something that I come back to quite a bit. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great blog. And those are all great resources. So we'll make sure that we link to them so other people listening can check them out. So we've discussed a bunch of different topics over the course of the episode. Do you have any final thoughts or words of advice for other designers or entrepreneurs? Something that I've learned here that has served us pretty well, and I I think it's largely from, like I mentioned, my previous design director. He's now working at a place called Thrive Market out of L.A. It's a new startup doing some grocery delivery related stuff. And I think he gave us as a design team, a lot of permission to go out and design the job that you want and design the design the position that you want to be in. Don't wait for somebody else to necessarily come and tell you, well, I want you to work on a Apple Watch project. Like if you're interested in that and you have some time at work to do it or you are just passionate about it, start playing with ideas for it. Draw them, you know, write them down. Keep your ideas from necessarily getting stuck in your head by putting them down on a piece of paper or using keeping a Google Notes doc or just if you have the skill, you know, design it yourself and shop it around to the team. You never know where something cool might come from. We do have kind of a culture of hack days and stuff here, too. And I think that a lot of people here want every day to be like hack day. They want to be able to solve our own problems and solve our customer problems in ways that we think are interesting and creative and look at problems, you know, business problems, your own implementation bottlenecks. Look at those things really objectively and be able to come up with alternatives. Just because something's always been done one way doesn't mean that it should be done that way a year from now. So I don't know. I I like to really question everything. I ask why about 50,000 times whenever somebody tells me to do something. And that can be annoying. Good advice would be know when that is getting annoying and <laughs> try and rein that in a little bit. But um, yeah, I think just try and bring passion and curiosity to whatever project you're working on. And that's it's been as true today uh, at Starbucks and, you know, working on large, potentially global problems for the business at scale as it was starting off working at ad campaigns, you know, in my first internships and just trying to find a creative solution to something that needed to be improved. Awesome. That's great advice. I couldn't think of a better way to end the episode. Jason, thanks so much for taking the time to speak with us today. It was awesome to have you on the show. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you guys for having me. you've enjoyed this podcast, we'd love to hear about it and have you share with friends. Find us on Facebook or Twitter at hack to start or drop us an email hey at hacktostart.com. You can also subscribe to avoid missing any future episodes by finding Hack to Start on Apple Podcasts, Breaker Audio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening.